You're listening to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, a podcast to inspire and empower you to be a difference maker in a dysfunctional educational system. Hear weekly from adults and students who are having a radical impact in the education space as they share from their minds and hearts, giving us practical tools that we can take back to our classrooms and campuses. Here to take you outside the educational box is author, disruptor, and your host, Kevin Curtis. Before we get into today's episode, if you really like the GTKY concept of connections before content, but you thought to yourself, where do I get those good questions at? And you're thinking, well, I'm still doing virtual teaching versus in-person teaching, and I just want to connect with my kids, but I'm not sure what questions to ask. What we've done for you is created a free resource of 25 GTKY questions that you can immediately download and go back into your virtual setting or your in-person classroom setting to make a difference of getting to know your students before you dive into the content. All you have to do is head over to our website at rclfirst.com, sign up for our newsletter, and you will get immediate access to 25 GTKY questions that you can go back into the classroom and start putting connections before content. So let's get right back into the show. Hey, welcome back to the show, everyone. On today's episode, I get to sit down and interview teacher and coach Michael Herrera, who is entering his 15th year at Cibolo Steel High School. Mike was a former teacher of the year and speaks directly today on how building relationships with the high school students is the difference maker for him as a teacher and a coach. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Welcome to the Relationship-Centered Learning Podcast, where we put relationships at the center of all learning. I am honored to have an amazing coach and teacher on today. Uh, Let's call Coach Michael Herrera. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So just just like we get into every episode, we always want to emphasize connections before content. And we always want to try to do that in what we call the GTKY format. That means just get to know you. Um, And so I'm going to start off the show. uh, Mike, Coach, what do you want me to call you today? Whatever you're comfortable with, man, I go by it all. I got you. Well, it's hard when we're coaches. It's typically coach. Always gonna yeah. be in, but, but Mike, I know I'll try to go back and forth. But uh, Mike, five simple questions for you to get to know you a little bit better. You'll flip five back at me, and then we'll get the show started. So obviously, you're a coach. Basketball seems to be a big passion of yours. And so what is your favorite basketball team of all time? Always been and always will be a Spurs fan. I don't awesome. care. I don't care how much they win or how much they lose. It, it, it's always going to be Spurs, man. Gotcha. So thinking out, what would if you could play any other sport besides basketball? What would be that one sport that would you like really think like, oh my god, if I could just be an excellent athlete at this sport, what sport would that be at? Man. Um, I'd, I'd have to say football, man. Um, I never, I never really got to play football as a kid. Basketball was always my favorite sport. I toyed with the idea my junior year in high school trying out and 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 uh, playing football, but um, man, the, the the seasons kind of uh, mesh a little bit. But I would have loved to have been a receiver. That's awesome. Kind of, kind of like what they talk about with LeBron all the time, right? LeBron would have been this amazing receiver. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, man. I, that leads me to my third question. Do you have a certain brand that you're loyal to? Nike, Adidas, any of that stuff? Not that you're probably, you know, like, you know, sponsoring anybody, but. 
Um, you know what? I'm an avid runner. I, I run a lot of marathons and I do Spartan training and stuff like that. So I would say the only partialness I have to a brand is ASICS when it comes to that running. But man, being a coach, and it really kind of depends on your your district too. So we're, we're, our district is actually sponsored by um, Adidas. So we have to wear Adidas shoes. We have to wear their socks and their and their clothes and their warm-ups. I mean, we could potentially just wear like a Nike, you know, you know, shirt or something like that during practice. But at when you're at a game um, or you're at the, the regional tournament or the state final four, they better see you with some Adidas on. Gotcha. So then my third question would be, if you're coming out of the tunnel and what's that song that's going to be playing for you, coach? <laughs> oh, man, what a great question. I tell you what, it's the song I probably play right now for my for my JV basketball team, man. It's Thunderstruck by ACDC, man. Awesome! Oh, that's I, a good I, one. Just, I love that intro. I love that intro, man. Good deal. All right, and then question number four: um, breakfast for dinner. Is that okay with you? Oh, absolutely, man. Grew up eating that kind of stuff, man. Nothing like having a bean and egg taco for dinner. Um, or my mom used to make us French toast, man. So heck yeah, man. All right. And then simple question number five is, is what's your favorite time of the year here in Texas? My favorite? That's such a good question, man. No one ever asked me that question, but it's something that I always say. And that's usually that season, like it's right after basketball season. It's kind of like spring break, but almost Easter time where the, the temperature is still cool enough, but the sun's coming out. I just, I love springtime, man. So when those flowers come out and it's nice and cool outside and you, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. I love that time of year. All right. So those are my five questions, coach. You got five for me. Absolutely, man. Let's go with this one. All right. So here's a basketball one for you. Ready? Uh, you have one shot to take. All right. You get $10,000 for a layup. You got to make it, obviously. You get 50K for a free throw. And you get $1 million for a corner three-pointer. Which one do you go for? I'll go for the free throw. Um, and I will tell you, I played basketball in middle school. And then I realized, like, I'm literally that, that, that movie, White Man Can't Jump. Um, no, I, I can literally jump. I just really, to be honest, I'm not talented on the offensive side as far as to actually execute. Um, I can play defense. I can block. I can screen. I understand X's and O's. And, and I even coached basketball when I first started coaching. I had to do, like, JV, freshman, junior high. So I, I really liked coaching the sport. I was just limited on the ability to play. And I'm right-handed. As I started playing into my, like, my 20s on, like, playing in the basketball like in the driveway and stuff like that I started shooting left-handed because my form left-handed was better than my form right-handed I was just more intentional about my hand placement on the ball so I, I ended up like starting to shoot left-handed so I would actually shoot a left-handed free throw I think for for the for the for the second largest amount of money that's crazy man so the question is and this is not one of the questions but do you bat right or left so I bat right-handed. Um, okay. I don't, the, the only thing I'm left eye dominant. So I shoot a bow and I shoot a rifle left-handed Okay, just, just because I'm left eye dominant. There you go. Question number two, man. What's the last book you read? The last book I, I read, uh, White Fragility, the one where you're kind of doing them, the men's study. And before that was Tribes, the, the, the men's and All education right. group led me to my last two books. Yeah. All right. Uh, question number three, carnivore or herbivore? Oh my God. Carnivore. 
uh, all the way, the more the better. Uh, barbacoa or carne asada. I'm from San Antonio too. So, yeah. you know, I, 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 I went to Jay and I always tell people, you know, I, I didn't, I, I, I thought I was brown. I looked white on the outside, but I grew up in the Hispanic culture. I, I learned the language. Yeah. I dated Hispanic girls my whole life. The, the, the meats and, and the spices that come up with living in San Antonio with barbacoa and carne asada and, and car, carne guisada, you know, just, just, oh uh, yeah, I'm definitely definitely uh a, a, a carnivore at heart go. all right favorite ice cream oh um i'm gonna go with um rocky road right. if i could find it only one place has it now the only reason i say that is uh not um uh what do you call it baskin robbins has a german chocolate ice cream I, I would tell you i love german chocolate cake it's the only ice cream i know that emulates a cake it is phenomenal, but I don't know if it's seasonal. I don't know whatever it is, but if I could find it, that is the bomb. But Rocky Road would be right there with it. Dude, you got to try out Starry Night at HEB, man. Starry Night. Okay. Starry Night oh, HEB. It's an HEB brand ice cream. And dude, I've always got a tub of that in their freezer. I love it. <laughs> got it. All right. Question number five. Last one. Do you have a boat? I do not have a boat now. I right. in, When I was bartending and going through college, I believe it or not, I had two boats, two jet skis, uh, some good friends of mine. I lived on the other side of town, so Medina Lake was the closest lake, and that is exactly how I learned how to operate a boat in a jet ski, and I loved it, but man, boy, are there maintenance, and, oh, and yeah. there's just little things. How many times I pull up to the lake and like, we don't have the plug? And I'm like, what? We don't have the plug. We're going to take on water. We can't even get in the water. And and love, luckily, those things at the dock always know that. So they carry plugs and yeah. other things that you're, you're, you're tube to the gas can or whatever, stuff like that. But no, man. I, and now that I live near Canyon Lake, I'm literally 10 minutes from the lake. I, I went out. Uh, our neighbors invited us on a plant, a plant, a platoon boat, platoon boat, yep. platoon, platoon. Yep. Had a slide and double decker, and, and I'm watching all these boats in the lake. And I would tell you, Coach, it was like, <gasps> I want a boat. Yep, I hear you. I got the itch right now. It's well, funny you, you asked that question. Uh, the the part of that question that I was going to ask you is so this actually might be pretty easy for you. So what if you were to have another boat? Mm-hmm. All right, what's the name of the boat going to be? Mm, birdie to bogey. <laughs> All right. You might have, you might have to explain that one. So birdie to bogey would be, I've had a couple of people ask me the, the autobiography of my life. I think, you know, if you're a golf person and you get it, you know, you're, you're on the green, you're right there. Everything looks like it's, it's very attainable. And then you turn around and you miss the putt. And then not only do you miss the putt, but you miss it by like five more feet. And before you know it, you go from a one putt to a three putt situation. Like that's life, man. It just, it looks so good right in front of you. Everything's going well. And then all of a sudden you're three putting. So that's it. Birdie to bogey. I like that, man. That's solid. Yeah. That, that's why we said, I've had a couple of people on the show. What would be your book? What would be a book you would, what would be the title of your book? I'm like birdie to bogey. And they just crack up. Cause they're like, how did you like, I'm like, I, I, I've contemplated that so much in my life because life feels like that. Like you feel like everything is going right there. And then you're like, and then you miss the putt, but you don't just miss it. You miss it like way past the hole. And then you're like, okay, I got this. And then you miss the one coming back and you're just like, are you kidding me? I was set up for a birdie and I didn't even get par. I went all the way past par and got a bogey, man. That, that to me, life, it's just, a, it's a great analogy of life. And Hey man, thanks for sharing that movie the other day. I really, 
uh, appreciated that Seven Days in Utopia. That was a, a great watch, particularly for somebody who loves golf. Yeah. Uh, so man, good. yeah, man, that SFT. Whew, man, that was good stuff, man. That's so, good. Absolutely. So just like every show, we always want to get a chance to know each other. So just like Mike and I are doing today, do, do, do the same things in your classroom, but do this in just what we call the GTKY format. I realize some of our questions may be longer. I realize some of our questions may be a little bit deeper or we may extend on the answer. That doesn't mean you have to take that same t- same approach in the classroom. I just want us to be comfortable on the show. But again, connections before content is such an important factor to help all of your students and your staff be successful on your campus. So as we we get into today's show, Coach. Um, ironically, you you and I started to realize as we joined the Men in Education, we were actually teaching and coaching in the same district and not even aware of it. Yep. And so, what really led you to get into education just to begin with? You know, um, I was actually on a podcast. I think you, you either listened to it or, or heard parts of it yesterday, man. But growing up as a kid, I think every kid that uh, uh, that plays sports always aspires to play that professionally, right? Whether it's basketball, soccer, football, baseball. And so, yeah, I mean, I aspired to be an NBA basketball player. And then obviously through through high school, you start to realize that that's not going to happen. But I still had a passion for the game. And so actually, I, had, I really wanted to be a, a, a NBA physician. That was actually like, that was my dream. I want to be the Spurs doctor. I mean, literally, that's what I said. I, I had it narrowed down, not even like, a professional doctor. Like I wanted to be a professional doctor for the Spurs. Right. Um, and, and then once I got to college, it was just kind of like, man, that's just a lot more school. That's 12 more years of school. Like I'm not, I'm not doing that. I think academically though, I was sound and I, and I know I can do it. Um, and I know that I could have done it. It was just not a priority. I did not want to sacrifice everything that that would entail. I come from a family that um, at the time that I graduated with my undergraduate degree, there was only one other family member that had graduated from college, a family of five. And, and so when I graduated from the University of Tulsa in 2002 uh, with a degree in exercise science, you know, I, I liked the idea of sports trainer. I liked the idea of physical therapist. Um, and I just, I wasn't sure, man. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So what did I go do? two more years of education and go get a master's. So I was buying time is what I was doing. Um, but I went to Texas Tech and I was a grad assistant there and, and got to teach classes and, and exercise physiology. I, w- I was started to have my own, like my, my class, you know, I had to keep a grade book and come up with lesson plans on diet and exercise and weight training. I taught volleyball, basketball. I even uh, implemented volleyball at Texas Tech for the first time. If you've never played volleyball, y'all need to check this out on YouTube, volleyball. So anyway, so like that led to this idea, like I really like the the relationships. And at that time I was only, I mean, I'm 22 years old, right? Graduated from college. So I'm 22 year olds working on my master's and I've got, and I say kids, I had students in my class that were my age right? That maybe got started later. And I had 18 year olds and I had people that were even older than me taking my classes, the responsibility, the relationships that you got to build through what I was passionate about, which was sports and exercise and and science. Um, That led to the path of, man, I really think that this is what I want to do. So I reached out to my old health science teacher, um, uh, Susan Stout, who, who taught at MacArthur 
and we just started talking and she's like, Michael, this is what you got to do. You've got to go work in the medical field for two years um, because you cannot teach health science unless you go out there and get a, a medical certification. You have two years of medical experience and then boom, you can take your test and become a health science teacher. And that's what I did. You know, I, I worked in Houston for two years as a cardiopulmonary technologist doing those, uh, the stress tests like you see on, uh, on Gatorade commercials where the athletes are hooked up to all the VO2 max, you know, uh, respirator machines and the EKGs and the running on the treadmills. Um, but I was doing that for obviously at-risk patients for heart disease or heart attacks or, you know, maybe they came in with palpitations or something like that. So, you know, got my teaching certification two years after I did my clinical experience and then got in, got into teaching. But along the way, man, it was, it was really paved by, I grew up in a single uh, family home and, and I got to participate in some camps, you know, whether they were at YMCA or they were church camps. And I was always drawn to those leaders, you know, and, and what they stood for, whether it be Christ-centered or just mentoring youth, you know, and, and that's why you're YMCA. But even as a young kid, I always looked up to those leaders, the people that were responsible for a group. And I was just drawn to that. And so I was always kind of drawn to filling that same capacity as I grew up, wanting to be the youth leader, wanting to be, you know, the person that had a group of people under him that I could share my story or empower or enlighten with whatever I have to say. And, you know, I think this is, uh, this is my calling and this is, you know, all that kind of led up to me being an educator for the last now 15 years. And so you've been at Steele High School for, is it 14 years now? 14 total. This will be my uh, 15th year. 15th year. Right. So man, I will tell you, so let me just clarify. Did you come to Steele when they first opened that first year? Nope. So it was the second year after. So they only had one coach at the time to coach all levels. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's when they bring in all the uh, assistants, the freshman coaches and whatnot. So I came in the second year. Gotcha. Yeah. I came into Clemens the first year that Steele had opened up that first year prior to you. Okay. And so I came in and I had left Nixon Smiley as offensive coordinator and head baseball coach that came in to do freshman football coach. And I loved it, you know, Clemens having the hair, you know, the, the culture and, and rich heritage that they had had. Um, freshmen were on the other side of the campus. You were, I was almost like a small school within the school, you know, coach Farrar is like, just go over there. And as long as I don't hear anything from the freshmen, I'm like, absolutely coach. Uh, I, I really loved the, the camaraderie and the relationships I built with the coaches and the community. And then I left there and got into leadership. But ultimately, the, the years that you've spent at uh, Ciblo Steel, you know, being recognized. And what year were you Teacher of the Year? Was that just a couple years ago? 2016. 2016, you were Teacher of the Year. What do you think attributed to it in, in the classroom for, for you to be acknowledged? Not that you, you weren't always doing these things, Mike, but what do you think for that year set you apart that you finally did get recognized for being Teacher of the Year? So we actually just got a new principal that year. Um, and Jana Cervantes is our principal. And I hope, you know, I will make sure she listens to this. But man, she's amazing. Um, I love her to death. I couldn't ask for a better principal. And, and honestly, as long as I've been here at Steel, the leadership here has been amazing. You know, I can't say anything bad about any one of them. It was, it's just a great place to be. The culture here is amazing. The staff is amazing and the administration is amazing, but we had a new principal. 
And, you know, my wife was teacher of the year, probably within, matter of fact, she was probably nominated every year for like a span of like five or six years, it seems like. And she's amazing at what she does. And she teaches elementary school in Northeast ISD. But I, I, I remember this moment. I'm sitting at a table at my wife's teacher of the year banquet. And, and I looked at her and I said, babe, I'm never going to win this. Like, I'm never going to be teacher of the year. And she's like, why? And I was like, well, I think there's a stigma sometimes that people associate coaches with being non-educators. And that's just heartfelt, you know? So if you're listening to this right now and, and, and maybe you feel the same thing that I do, but um, I never felt valued as, as an educator. And, and as a coach, you know this, that we always preach to our kids that you are a student athlete. You are not an athlete student. So academics comes first. Well, how can I say that to my kids on the basketball team? But if I'm not an educator first and a coach second, and I have a passion for teaching, I love teaching medical classes because these kids, I get to be the bridge for these kids that want to be doctors and physicians and nurses and physical therapists. And I, I get to, I mean, I'm in my classroom right now and I can just see my students right now. Like I, I get to help them reach their dreams because this is an elective course. They don't have to take this course. You know, they, they chose, they chose me, they chose this class and I get to help them do that. And so I think that when we got that new principal, Ms. Cervantes, you know, maybe she saw that. Maybe it was something that I said. Maybe it's the way I acted. But um, if I remember correctly, I was told that she was the one who put in the nomination hmm. um, for me. So, you know, I would like to say that there was a buildup, right? That years and years and years of maybe administration or teachers recognizing what I do in the classroom. But I think on this campus, I would bet a paycheck on it that teachers know me as a, as a connector teacher, like they, they know that Coach Herrera loves his kids. They know that Coach Herrera is going to go support them at their volleyball games, their football games, their one-act plays, you know, theater, whatever it is. Like that's just who I am. And I think that uh, in combination with my, my principal at the time and who still is here, I think she recognized that. She, she saw it. And she's probably the most visible principal that I've ever seen. She is at everything. And so I think when she saw me at a lot of things, nowhere close to as many things that she went to, I, I think that kind of led to a little bit of that recognition of, man, who is this guy and what does he stand for? And, and then it turned into that nomination. But Kevin, it turned into um, being district teacher of the year as well. So that, that's, you know, it's just, and my mom was there and I took her to that banquet and I'm sitting there at the banquet with my mom and I'm just, I go back to that conversation I had with my wife, like, this is never going to happen. So to be recognized as a educator and not a coach, man, that, that was a, that was a great, great day, great moment and a great banquet. And, and I love talking about that because coaches need to be, they need to be valued as educators. Well said, man. Well, congratulations, coach. I applaud you for for being diligent at holding yourself accountable for what we say, which is exactly right. Student athlete, right? Educator, coach. And that you modeled that in the fact that Jana came in 
And all it took possibly, you know, nothing against Mike or any of the other, you know, people that were there. It's just that she came in and saw something and whatever it was, it, it was different. And I'm so glad that you were honored. And I'm glad that you had to learn that you, this was possible. And the fact that you, they call you the connector, how does that make you feel as a, as an educator and a coach, right? You're both, we were both hats. We were many hats, but, but to known as the connector, like to have that, like when I interview Joe Beckman, I call him the human connector. He's not a teacher. He's not a coach, but Joe Beckman is the human connector. So what does it feel like to be the connector at Cibolo Steel High School? What does that, what does that make it feel like for you, Mike? You know, and, and I, and I can't, I can't, um, I can't answer this question without first saying that there are a lot of connectors here on campus, as well as probably a lot of campuses. But but to be very honest with you, I'm very biased in my answer, and, and I'm going to promote Steel High School. Like, I've been here now. This will be my 15th year. No matter if you're still here with me teaching, if you've left and you're at another school and you hear this podcast, the saying about this school and, and what people believe is that it's such a great place. And when I talk to other teachers from other schools and other school districts and the, and the complaints and the things that they talk about, and I'll leave it at that. It's just kind of like, man, am I, is this reality? Like, am I really at one of the best schools in Texas and so, you know, as a, as a coach, I've got aspirations of becoming a head coach and I've had conversations with, with coaches at other schools and other school districts as I'm pursuing some possible openings, you know, and I ask them like, what's your school like? What's your administration like? What's the student culture like? You know, what, what's the support system like? Man, and I just, I'm, I'm floored with the honesty, but the reality is, is that I'm in such a great place with other great teachers who are all great connectors. And that's what makes this place a beautiful place. But me personally, as a connector, to answer your question, it's just edifying of my why. And I know you can see it right behind me. Like when, when, when someone can recognize who you are for what you do and what you say, it's not just chalk talk. It's not just teacher talk. Like no, I am trying to live and show you who Coach Herrera is. And so when someone recognizes that as a connector, you know, it's very edifying to know that what you're trying to do is being seen by, by your colleagues. Absolutely. Well said, Coach. Well said. I think what, when you said who Coach Herrera is, you're just ordinary. You're, you're still my career, the same kid that grew up and the same kid that went to college and the same operations. And I think you're able to deliver who you are in such a passionate way to those students and to those staff members. And so if we stay there for a minute, you're, you're talking about the culture. So I always talk, when I, when I talk about relationships and, and the importance of them, I talk about it primarily at two levels. One would be campus connections, and I'm talking about adults, adults connecting with other adults. And then eventually we get to classroom connections where we're talking about it with students. So honest question, is there there anything that you guys do to create that culture of connectedness is to give maybe other listeners that if they were like, what would be something that we could do or what, 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 what is the direction we would try to get to, to try to get those campus connections that you're describing that's happened in the steel high school? 
I wish I could give you a, a, an answer that was like, you know, something that another school could hear this and use, but I just, I commend our administration. I, I commend the principles that we've had here, starting with Mary Pivato to Mike Wolfarth and now Janice Cervantes. To me, it starts from the top, right? I mean, we could sit here and actually argue and say, actually, it starts with the bottom up and then it starts from the top down. And it's a little bit of both. Don't get me wrong, because you can have this so-called, you know, leadership that that doesn't enrich the culture at their school for whatever reason, right? It's a hypothetical situation. To me, I always use this in, in, in coaching and in teaching, right? You can't point the finger at others. You got to point the finger at yourself, right? So like, mm-hmm. don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. So like, if you don't have a campus culture, that is the climate that you like, well then go freaking change the thermostat, right? Mm-hmm. Like go over there and put it on the temperature that is your liking and, and find one person. And if you can find one person, you know, link arms with that person. And then now that two becomes four and eight and 16. And, and pretty soon you who didn't like your culture to begin with is now slowly, but surely changing the culture from the bottom up. But here, it's it's been from the top down, where that's just who they who they were and who Jana is as a principal. That leadership style, that visibility, the talk, right? Like she she not she doesn't just talk; like she walks the walk and shows us what it looks like to love every kid, to support. Every kid, whether you're an athlete or not, whether you're an academic genius or not, it doesn't matter. These kids are all human beings first. They're students second. Like you have to reach the kid first as a human being, not a student. And I think where some people may get it wrong, in my opinion, for whatever Mm -hmm. that's I think teachers sometimes feel so content heavy that they, they, they have to spew information to feel edified as, a, as an educator. And I kind of said it the other way around a little while ago, right? I'm edified as a connector. Dude, like I love medical stuff, but I could care less about my classroom work. Like I'm going to teach, I'm going to give worksheets and quizzes and tests, and, and they're going to walk out of my room having some kind of background knowledge of the medical field. But my why is not that I made them better health science students, my, my why is that my success is when, you know, I, I'm invited to their wedding or I get pictures of their babies or, you know, the thank you cards or the Merry Christmas coach. Good to talk to you. Thank you for everything you've done. I just got my first job as a nurse. Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm seeking. So if, if that's what I'm doing, I would imagine that a lot of our staff here are doing the same exact thing. I think their priority is connecting to kids and that's what makes it such a, a beautiful place here. Well, and you and you and you said it. No, coach, you actually answered the question because I think you did a beautiful job because what you illustrated is it's it can start from both ways. No, I love the thermostat versus thermometer. I love that that and and I've used that in a variety of different references, but ultimately I do believe it has more empowerment starting from the top. I think that sometimes we're waiting to see how that's going to be modeled. And, you know, I had already left the district before Jana had come in, but knowing her reputation and knowing how she's leading that campus and hearing that and seeing it come to fruition just illustrates, you get to know who Jana is as a person, 
not just as the principal. She, she illustrates that who she is as a person, and she models that for her other leadership team and all the way down to the staff. So it becomes the norm that she says, I'm going to go to these events. I'm going to treat our students as humans. So therefore I need you to treat them as humans. And so your answer is correct. I, I believe that what I've seen echoes what Jana and what your staff are experiencing when a principal has two feet in, in the right approach for students that does not always center around the content or curriculum. And and the one thing we have to acknowledge coach is, is that's very unique coming from the high school level. You know, when I, I, I know you have been in the, the Cibolo bubble and I don't, not as, I don't mean that as a negative. I mean, as like, that's your, you're, you're an amazing land in, in the district and what you're hearing about, you're hearing it. What I see Mike is, is I go into other districts and the high school is like, we ain't got time for this. We don't have time for connections and relationships. I get it. I hear it. Yeah, okay, it's important. But at the end of the day, that's not what I'm here for. And what I've, you know, uh, Dr. Kimberly McLeod, I had her on the other day, and she said, Kevin, there's no such thing as a good stereotype. Wow, that was powerful. And I do, I say stereotyping, as you go up from elementary, from middle school to high school, the higher you go up, the more content-driven we typically are as a stereotype and we get in silos and then this department doesn't even know what this department, it doesn't even know who they are. You mm-hmm. know, I, I always, I shared a story one time on an earlier podcast when somebody had talked about in silos uh, when I got my master's at Clemens and then I was doing my internship, you know, Jeff Bryan was like, Hey, you need to, you're going to go. And they, and I love administrative assistance. I mean, when you're intern, you're like their go-to, Hey, we don't want to go to this duty. Let's put Kevin on there. And they sent me on a senior field trip coach to like sack downtown. And it was all seniors and, and, and all, and was crazy. All they told me was is last time they came back with a, with pockets full of condoms. And I'm like, what are y'all doing to me? And they were like, yeah, they're going to give out condoms at the college last time. And it was a crazy thing. And kids tried to walk here and mix. And this is where they send this brand new to, uh, to be administrator. But here's the funny part. I'm getting on the bus and I'm going to get on the bus. And literally some of the teachers are like, can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm your administrator today on charge, administrator in charge. And they were like, who are you? I'm like, my name is Coach Kevin Curtis. I teach biology and IPC in the science wing. And this is my second year here. They were like, Who? Uh, they they had no clue that I was even a teacher nor a coach on that campus because, you know, we're so segmented in silos. Sorry, I'm kind of going in a circle, but my point, Mike, is, is that when you look at the high school, what you have experienced and what the administrative staff and leadership has created there is very unique because getting to know staff and connecting with staff at a high school level just starting there is such an uphill battle when we are departmentalized in, in silos and focusing more on our content and getting kids for college readiness and SATs and ACTs and, you know, testing and all those other things. All of those other things typically take priority more at the high school level than anywhere else. What's your thoughts on that? You know, it kind of reminds me when you, when you were saying that, I've never really thought about that, but it kind of reminds me of what you experience when you go to college. Right. Like you, what you just said there to me, I got the image of going off to school. Like you go to college, you've got this massive campus with different buildings. 
there's different staff in every building. Like, like you said, they probably don't know each other as a staff. And it almost seems like in, in, in what you've described there that some high schools maybe try to mimic a college. Right. But like, to me again, Kevin, that's shocking to me because I've never lived that in 14 years here at Steel high school. And I, and I always talk about this, like culture should surpass you. Right. So like Mary Pivato was here and created a culture and I've been a part of it. I mean, I, the only year I wasn't here was the year we opened. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably less than 10 teachers here that are still here since that second year, since I was here or even that first year. Right. So I've seen it all, man. And, and to me, it's just the torch has been passed to Mike Wolfarth. The torch has been passed to Janner Cervantes and the people in the culture, we've had teachers leave. We'd had teachers come. Right. And it's just kind of been, you know, some goes, some stay. Right. But one thing that's been consistent here is our culture. Right. Um, so I, I really feel like, I feel like what you just described there sounds like a college, you know, and, and I think maybe that's what some of those high schools need to like, forget about, like, you're not a college, like, let them experience that there, right? But here as a high school, and, and I don't mean to digress here either, but you and I talked about a podcast that I'm going to be doing here on campus for steel teachers. Because there's teachers here, man. I don't know their name. That's a problem. You know, but as I said before, like that problem needs to start with me. I need to point the finger at myself because who's to say that that teacher can't help me reach a kid? No, I agree. And so that, that's great. I'm glad you segued there because I, I, one of the things that when we talked about this is I thought this is a great idea that not everybody is, is, has the capability of doing, but I do want you to share how you are going to build community on your campus with your podcast idea. Let's go there. Yeah, sure. Um, so Man, COVID, let's talk about COVID. Like what has COVID done to all of us, right? Besides the the health and the risks that people have with this. And, but aside from that, man, we've had opportunities to take on new hobbies. We've had opportunities to revisit things that, that were hobbies, right? Or, or start new ones. And so like, I've never listened to podcasts until now. So like, you know, back when like, all the groceries were closed down and like you had to do this, you had to do that. Like I was the one person that would leave the house and and I don't live too far from you, man. So you know what it's like when you need to go to a grocery store, it's a 30 minute trip, you know, what am I going to do with this time? And so I was led on to this podcast and that podcast. And man, I just fell in love with listening to stories. It's so, it's so, it's so uplifting and it's so empowering to hear that people are just like me dealing with the same struggles And there's also people that are not like me, but we've got some commonalities, right? And so this is all storytelling. So rewind a couple of years ago, I had this idea with my students as like one of the like first of the year icebreakers kind of things, right? That all teachers do, right? Everyone has their own little icebreaker to get to know you. But here's the deal. Some teachers do it for one day. Some teachers do it for like two weeks. I'm one of those guys that does it for like two weeks and I'll never forget it. Cause I had a girl last year who's super smart and she's like, coach, when are, when are we going to start learning? <laughs> You'll start learning when I get to know you first. And that's what I, that's how I answered her. And, and anyway, so going back to, to, to this idea of this podcast is a, it, it branches off the idea of this icebreaker called what's your story. 
So the kids do a, a little PowerPoint and, and they use pictures. They use images to tell their story. I only give them a couple of minutes to do this. So after watching all these podcasts over this COVID break, I'll call it, because I don't even know if we had summer or not. Like, this just feels weird. Like, I feel like when we go back to school this week, it's just like, it's after spring break. Like, you know, we had no closure to last year. So I thought, man, let me turn this into a podcast because as a staff, and this is only going to be for my campus, you know, and I don't know what's going to come of it, but that's not the purpose. Selfishly speaking here, it's so that I get to know who I work with. But the podcast allows it for all staff members to hear at their leisure. Maybe they have a 30-minute drive to work and they never knew the person that was next door to them in the hallway, right? So I'm thinking, man, let me just do a podcast on, on campus, interview these teachers, get to know them on a personal level um, so that other teachers can feel comfortable enough to, to go talk to that person that they didn't know their name. But maybe they both grew up in Alaska. Now they've got something that's common, which develops into a friendship, which ultimately, why are we here? It's to serve our kids. So if I know that this teacher over here also has the same kid that I'm struggling with, I've got a connection with that teacher. That teacher knows my heart. They know my intentions. They know who I am and what I'm about. And they might be more willing to help me, you know? So, you know, that's just, it, it's, it hasn't started yet. I just got my microphone, right? So like, but, but my, my questions are being typed up in my phone. I'm, I'm figuring out who my first five people are going to be, but you know, I, I'm setting a goal. I, I can't go crazy because we're, we're a six, a campus, right? So we have like 200 people. Like I, there's no way I can interview all 200 people. So it might just be something where, where I do a teacher a week or something like that, maybe get in 50, 50 interviews. And then next year, hopefully build on that and, and interview some other teachers or, or spotlight a new teacher, like a first year teacher or because there's people on this campus that have been here for 14, 15 years. And, and honestly, a lot of people already know who they are. So that's kind of my thoughts on this podcast, man. Well, I love it. Uh, I would always say first suggestion is never bite off more than you can chew. So when it comes to whatever you're going to decide on how many episodes or stuff, but, but, but I, what, what I love about it is the creativity and the idea that one, see, you're comfortable in doing something like this. Not every staff member would, right? But that you're willing to bring in a platform to share their story because this is how we make connections. And unfortunately, this is our reality. What, what I love about it, Mike, is, is you're like, look, this is our reality. We're really busy. We're really big. But if I do it this way, at least we're going to increase the chance for you to get to know staff members versus standing up at a faculty meeting and giving a two-minute spill on who you are right yep. in front of everybody that you're willing to take the time and, and that you're comfortable leading these conversations. So I, I, I applaud you for one, the, the thought process and the intentionality of knowing that this is going to, how can we not learn from each other, Mike, if you're doing a simple podcast where we take, you know, 30 minutes or so to learn from each other, how does it not happen? Now I'm going to segue back to one thing that you said, and, and this has been huge for me, and I don't know if this will help you at all. Go back to what your students said. Um, Coach Rare, when are we going to get to the learning, right? Here, here's why I say this. You were learning. You were learning about your other classmates. And unfortunately, education has set us up 
to say, well, if we're not learning about the content or the curriculum surrounding the, the title of this course, we're not learning. And I'm calling bull crap, right? I'm saying that's bull because that, that same mindset that your student had is where I see a lot of teachers going down the same path. Kevin, what value does it, does it bring that I know what kind of ice cream they like or whatever? And I'm like, because exactly what you just pointed out is we need to know, are we cut from the same cloth? Are we struggling the same? Do we like the same? Do we not? And they're going to be like, they're not going to see the value in that because we're not emphasizing the value in that. Because to me, when the campuses that I've trained with Fidelity and that come back, and I will tell you, Mike, if I come back in there and teachers are using whatever platform, skills and drills, if they're using our tools, 60-second relate breaks, two-minute connections, 90-second spark plans, if they're using them, and then you come back later in the year and say, so what do you like about this? Interview every kid. Ninety-nine out of 10 kids will say, I love learning about my classmates and my peers, and I love learning about my teacher. Great. Perfect. At this point, what if the school said they were going to stop this? They would, their, their eyes are like, whoa, no, 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 no. Like, no. And so all of a sudden, the students and the teachers see the value in it. And now we, we don't know how to do life without it because it's just part of, it's integrated into the fabric of what we do. It's now, we've now seen the value into it. But as we're approaching leaving college and getting into teacher or whether we're coming into alternative certification, any route in education, nowhere along that route does somebody stop and say, hey, when you get into the classroom, it's going to be also important to learn about the War of 1812, but also to learn about what kind of ice cream you guys like. And they're going to be like, why? And you're going to go, because when you learn about what kind of ice cream you like or what brand of shoes you wear or all these other things, it's going to make you human and it's going to make you ordinary. And it's going to say, hey, we're all on the same plane, because if we don't and I'm in your you know, uh, your, your medical science class, Mike, and I'm in there and I don't know who the other students are because it's an elective and we're all just coming in as kind of like strangers, but yet I'm learning when they raise their hand and they're like, dang, she answers all of his questions. Um, um, she always gets uh, like a hundred on the quizzes. Um, she's smart. All I learn is who you are under the prism of what the content and curriculum allows me to get to know you. But if you said, stop the content, stop the curriculum, let's just get to know these GTKY questions, they would be like, okay, she does struggle. She ain't, so she's smart here, but she's not that smart over there. Or that she struggles with insecurities or that she struggles with any of these things, man. I think that's when, you, when your student said that, that was the first light bulb that went off. And, and, and it's not a, a condemnation. I'm just reminding us that we are learning. What, when I put it that way, what's your thoughts on that? Man, I tell you what, dude. Like, I wish you could see my 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 arms here, dude. Because like, I'm filled with emotion at the moment when you're talking because it makes me think of a lot of stuff that I've gone through as a teacher over the years. But and I'm looking at her desk because she sat right there last year. That's a memory that I'm gonna have forever because it took 14 years for someone to ever say that to me. But I've been doing the same thing for 14 years in my classroom. But this student, who is very smart who answers all the questions in my class, wants to know when we're going to learn. Let's fast forward 10 years. She's now an adult. Who is that person now in her place of employment? She's in her cubicle. 
she's a she's a physician who doesn't communicate to her staff. She doesn't get to know who her medical assistants or her CNAs are. So how is she being perceived by her staff, right? Or if she's not the entrepreneur and she's a worker, none of her coworkers are inviting her to happy hour. Like that that's a moment for me where I got to it. And, and when kids ask me these questions, I don't address it to her. I address it to the whole class. So everybody can hear my answer. Right. And up on my whiteboard over there for the entire year, I didn't plan for this was my why. And it talked about long lasting relationships that surpassed the time you walked the hallways of still high school. Mm. It stayed up there all year. The entire year. Matter of fact, it just got erased because they came and did the floors and they cleaned all the whiteboards and stuff. But I came in here about three or four weeks ago and it was still up on the board. But that's a constant reminder for my kids to remember, I'm going to teach you. But there's more to education and it's about relationships and it's about communication. You know, we're humans too, but it, it kind of reminds you ask, what does it kind of remind you of? There's a movie called Patch Adams. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Patch Adams. Have you seen it? Yes. Okay. It's a movie we show in here because it's a medical movie. It's about a physician, right? Robin Williams, who, who, who wants to become a physician. And there's this one scene that I bring up in all my classes. And, and he's going through medical school. They're walking through the halls. There's maybe 10, 15 med students or whatever. And the teacher, the teacher's walking backwards, right? And, and showing them stuff or whatever. And, they pull up to a patient who's in a bed outside in the hallway and the teacher talks about, and I'll use the word COVID because that's fresh on everybody because I don't remember this specifics, but he's like right here, this is our COVID patient. She's 53 years old. She's got shortness of breath. Respiratory system is failing, blah, 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 blah. And Robin Williams patch, he, he raises his hand and he's like, sir, what's her name? man, that's so powerful. And everyone's kind of like looking at him like, how dare you ask what her name is because she's the COVID patient. Like she's the shortness of breath patient. Like, what do you mean her name? And it's like, dude, like, do you not understand? Like, let's get to know our patient, right? It's the same thing in education, right? Like we have to know our kid. How dare you just, you know, call her student? No, like what is her first name? What's her last name? Where does she live? Is she military? You know, it, it, single parent home? You know, did she walk to school? Did she take a bus? Does she have lunch today? Like, is she eating? Is she getting a shower? Does she have clothes? But it also reminds me of something that I do in my classroom. And I've done this for 14 years. This will be year 15. I journal. And, and every day when my kids walk into my classroom, there's a journal on the board. Um, sometimes they're quotes. I love quotes. Um, sometimes they're questions to just get them to think. Sometimes I put on there, I put music therapy and I'll play a song for them that I like that has a message or a meaning. It's never about, do they like the song or not? I, I say, get past the fact that it's not your genre of music, listen to the message and then write a journal. Sometimes it's just open-ended and they can write whatever they want. And when the timer goes off, the timer goes off. But, um, and I don't mean to go dark here for a second, but again, it goes back to knowing your kids. I have had students who have talked about stuff, man. And, um, it just, it, it breaks my heart to say it on here too, but kids that talk about suicide, right? Kids that talk about sex trafficking, kids that talk about, you know, not, not staying at home, but they had to sleep outside, you know, like 
and, and all the stories that you can even imagine that they're writing in those journals. Well, guess what? They're not just writing them in the journals for sake of it. Like they know Coach Herrera reads them. And I tell them out the first day that I'm going to read your journals. And unless you're talking about harming yourself, it's your journal. It is your private place. You can write freely. And they, coach, can I cuss in my journal? Hey, it's not the way I talk, but if you want to, it's your journal. I'm not going to judge you. And so when I read those, I'm able to write back and I'll, I'll handwrite in their journals, but now I've moved to more, you know, Edmodo like technology. So now we're doing electronic journals, but I'm able to respond to them. And then it surprises me when the kids come up to me and like, coach, you, you, you read my journal? Like, yeah, I told you I would like, no, do you, did you read all of them? I said, yeah. Matter of fact, I want to talk to you after class. You know what I mean? Like, and they're just, they're just floored by someone actually wants to get to know them. And you think about suicide rates increasing in girls ages 14 to 18. And it's like, you know what? Like, and some teachers be like, oh my God, here she comes again in the classroom and she's crying. All she wants is attention. Well, by God, give it to her. Like, like, yeah, she's crying. She might be a drama queen. Give her what she needs without interrupting your class, right? They just want to be heard. You know, how many kids walk the halls and, and we pass judgment on kids that walk the hall because they look a certain way and we don't want to talk to them. No one talks to them. So be that person that talks to them. You know what I mean? And, and so that's one of the things that I do. We can't dehumanize education. Like you have got to put the human before the student. Well, I think it's well said. So, no, I love that strategy. I mean, that you're, 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 you're following right in the footsteps of uh, Freedom Riders, right? Where she put in yes. the journals. Yeah. So, no, it's a beautiful strategy, Mike, in the fact that you're reading it. They feel free. But listen to what that student said. You read it? Like, okay, because a lot of teachers say things, but we don't follow through. Yep. And I think that's that's the frustrating part in education where I was just getting on my soapbox. It's like, man, we continue to say, don't forget to connect with kids. Don't forget to build relationships. We love to say that out loud. And I think what's interesting when you were like, yeah, I did. And they're just like, okay, coach, that's not normal. Like, you, you, like, you know, the fact that, you, that you're hearing this from her – I think it just needs to remind you that you are doing what most teachers are not. And I'm, and, and I'm not saying steal or not. I'm just saying in general, most teachers are scared, Mike, to hear that information because they don't want to either one, self-report or two, they think if I hear this, then I'm not, a, but I'm not an LPC or an LSP. I don't know what to do with this, Right. And I interviewed a, a, a singer for 2020, and I cannot emphasize the whole message of her entire podcast with me is just listen to us. If you'll just listen to us as students, it goes back to what I, I'm sure my listeners at this point are going to be tired of hearing me saying it, but valued, seen, and heard every human being, but particularly every student wants to feel valued, seen, and heard in the way Coach Mike Carrera does it in his classroom is different than other people, but the message is still the same. They walk out of your classroom going, I feel valued, I feel seen, and I definitely feel heard. And I don't feel judged. So when, when that kid said, coach, can I use profanity? You're like, hey, that's not me, but go ahead. 
And you did it in a way that made him comfortable that you weren't going to judge him. Like, no, how dare you do that? So I, I think, you know, I'm realizing today, Mike, and I knew this before we got on, you are an, an exceptional person, human being and educator. And I just want people to know that it's okay to be ordinary because I'm going to assume you still struggle, Mike. Do you not struggle as a teacher? Like you oh, can't absolutely. be that super, super intolerant to, to, what do you struggle? What do you struggle? I want to go vulnerable. I want you to be ordinary. What do you struggle with in the classroom? Dude, I'm not the best teacher. I'm not, I'm sorry. I'm not like when it comes to content, I'm not a physician. Like there's so much stuff that, that when the kids walk into the classroom and they see all this medical stuff, they automatically assume like, I am just like, you know, Dr. Herrera, right? No, when it comes to, um, and, and again, I'm just telling you, like when it comes to different strategies, whether it's the 5E model or, or Keegan strategies or, you know, all these different kinds of things that get thrown our way, um, whatever model is the current model for teaching, I'm always going to be an open ear. I'm always going to do as I'm told. I'm always going to go all in. And, and that's because that's what's asked of me. And that just kind of goes with my upbringing. I'm not going to refuse to do it. But man, when it comes to that kind of stuff, I can't, I can't recite all that. I can't tell you, I don't have a master's in education. I just know what I know. Mm -hmm. What do I know? I know how to connect to kids. It just so happens I get to do it by teaching a little bit about health science. You know what I'm saying? So that's, those are my struggles. When I compare myself to some of these really, really good content educators, I'll say, and, and strategists, that's, that's where I'm not like, that is not my cup of tea. That is not me as a teacher. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm always reading. I love reading books on how to be a better educator, but I'll take pieces of it rather than like, this is my strategy. Like if someone said, Hey, coach rare, tell me what's your teaching philosophy and strategy in the classroom. Like love kids. Um, Can you elaborate (laughs) on that? Yeah. I'll elaborate. Like that's, that's my honest answer I hope that doesn't get me in trouble in the sense of like downplaying who I am as an educator, but that's just the honest truth, man. Like that's just not me as a teacher and it never has been. Maybe it will with more experience, but man, I tell you what, all I do is love kids, connect to kids, build relationships and sustain them over the life. That's it. Yeah. I always, uh, uh, I turned a, a, a slide that was colorful into a black and white slide. And it's a simple sign that says either love them or lose them. And I told him at this point in 2020, this is where kids are at. Things have changed. You know, you and I have talked uh, off episode. Again, I think some educators who've been in the game long enough are stuck in that 1990 playbook in 2020 where, you know, uh, it's my job to teach them. It's their job to sit and get it. And, you know, I'm the deliverer of all information in the world and, and their job is to respect me and to just, you know, and it's like, I don't know when it changed, but it changed. And so instead of debating, why don't we open up the 2020 playbook? And the first thing I always tell them is, is you got to connect before you even correct, connect before content, connect correct. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I said, kids no longer listen and comply with adults because we're adults. And they're like, well, they should. I'm like, no, I don't disagree with you. I was brought up under the same regime. But what happened, and, and this is my philosophy, is they stopped trusting us. And here's yep. why. We grew up where you just trusted adults. But now with technology in the information age, 
this generation has been shown from political leaders to doctors to general regular people, there are bad people out here and adults don't always make good decisions. And so at this point, think about this. I, I wish we could change the, the narrative in our schools and schools could be vulnerable enough to say, hey, welcome to my campus where we may not get it right, but we're, going, working, we're working on getting it right. We're going to make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Your kids are going to make mistakes. My teachers are going to make mistakes. Heck, I'm the principal. I'm going to make mistakes because we're all human beings here, right? Particularly coming back to, in the mid-pandemic, like, I think we need to be as, as, as vulnerable as possible instead of trying to act like we have it all together. That's the whole part. Education wants to give this facade that we have it all together. And kids know that we don't have it all together. Kids know that we struggle, but we're not supposed to show it. So they don't know it. And, and it's just this whole cycle of where we're supposed to have it together. We're supposed to know the content. We're supposed to be master teachers. We're supposed to be, you know, um, we're supposed to be on our lesson and on our content and curriculum. And you put all of that and you're supposed to connect with kids. It's, 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 it's one of the most impossible jobs to do in the system that we're currently at. So I want to talk about that something you mentioned to me about the presentation that you started to present based on, was it based on from the teacher of the year in the district? That is that where it came from? I want you to talk a little bit about the name of it and with the message behind that so people can hear what your approach is. Yeah, so um, the la- when I won district teacher of the year, I hate saying one. When I- When you was- were awarded. <laughs> when I earned, I'll say that because I, I can I can humbly say I earned it. Um, when I earned that award as district teacher of the year, there was a question that you have to fill out because now the you know you should you want to be represented by your region as the regional teacher of the year, and then ultimately if you win that, then you go on and, and go on for Texas teacher of the year. So the last question on it said, should you win Texas teacher of the year, you may be asked to go out and, and do public speaking you know, what, what's your message going to be? And I was like, man, I got to think about this. And, and I went to a presentation as a basketball coach by uh, coach neighbors and it was 25 reasons why you might suck as a coach. And dude, like when I saw that on the list of, of topics to go attend, I'm like, man, I'm going to that one. Right. Like I want to hear what this guy, man, I don't suck as a coach. There's no way you leave there and you check every one of those boxes. Right. But like you said, like the whole purpose of him telling that story is we're going to make mistakes, right? But mistakes that you do more than once becomes habits. So being able to see that and correct it, it was just a mistake, right? So fast forward to 2016, I'm filling out this thing. I'm like, you know what? 25 reasons why you might suck as a teacher, (laughs) <laughs> I, reached, I reached out to him and I was like, man, like, I don't know if you've got this title copyrighted or whatever. He gave me the blessing. And so the title of my presentation I go do now for schools and districts is maybe it's not your students. Maybe it's you. 25 reasons why you might suck as a teacher. And I tell you what, man, I, I, I have, um, I've got my presentation. It's about an hour long or so. And, um, there's a lot of movie clips that I show, but the, the gist of my presentation 
is all about connections. It's that connection piece. Like uh, if I can wrap it up into one slide, right? Like if you're not connecting to students, sorry, you suck as a teacher, right? But when you, when you were talking, it, it made me think of my, my presentation because there, there's just, there's so much that, that teachers don't look at themselves, right? There's no introspective look in the mirror, you know, what am I doing wrong? How am I not serving you? And so there's a part of my presentation that I actually do. It was actually in my presentation as a slide, but not a video. So the first time I did this presentation, the, the saying is, is that if you want to know if you're a good teacher, ask your worst student in my presentation. My wife didn't like that. She was like, you can't say the word worst. And I'm like, babe, no, here's what I mean by that. The kid that's got their head down, that's not listening. The student that's always on their cell phone repeatedly, even though you've asked them to put it away. The student that doesn't ever turn in their homework. The student, the student, the student, like go, that's your worst student, right? That's your challenging student. Ask that kid. Think about that. If you ask that kid what they think of you, how many teachers do you think would even ask that kid? No yeah. way. Yeah, right. No way, right? No way am I going to listen to Johnny tell me what he thinks of me, right? Right. Screw that, man. You have to. If you're fearful of asking that kid, then you're doing something wrong in your classroom. The same goes in coaching. You want to know you're a good coach? Ask your worst player on your team. Because if you're only teaching the all-stars, if you're only coaching the all-stars, if you're only teaching the smart kid, you're not reaching Johnny in the back of your classroom. Why isn't he turning in his work? Why isn't he paying attention? Why is he putting his head down? It's not the kid. It's you, right? So I did this presentation. I'm like, you know what? I'm saying it right now to all of my audiences that I'm speaking in front of, but I've never done it. So I was like, how can I be, how can I be this presenter challenging others to do it when I haven't done it? So then that next year, guess what I did? <laughs> I put a camera in my back room and I said, guys, you do not have to participate in this at all. This is volunteer only. Um, I do a presentation and I would love to have you on my presentation, but here's what I need. I need you guys to tell me one thing that I effectively do as a teacher that reaches you, not your class, you as an individual. But then I also need you to follow up that one thing that I suck at, one thing that I don't do well, that you don't like, that doesn't speak to you, that doesn't enrich you or empower you or, or make you a better health science student. Like what's that one thing that you didn't like that Coach Rara did? Mm -hmm. And man, come on, like the connections that I had with kids, all the kids were eager to go in that room one by one, they're going in there and they're filming and they're coming out and they've got smiles on their faces and this and that. Man, oh man, did I not learn a lot about myself. Okay, you got, in, I'm, you got me in now. Man, I tell you what, so I, I personally believe, believed, I can't say believe, believed that I held my stress back. I always thought like, hey, I'm having a stressful day. Um, you know, like I can't let my kids see this or hear this in my teaching. I walked away listening to their messages and the common theme I heard was that when you're stressed, we're stressed. And man, I was like, how selfish of me that my emotions, my, my stressful nature is coming off of me 
and falling on my kids, how do you think that's going to affect their learning that day in my class for 50 minutes? I would have never known that if I didn't ask them. Right. Right. Yeah. You get all the other stuff too. Like, um, coach, you shouldn't give us so much homework anymore. And <laughs> but you get all the funny stuff too. But I tell you what, man, just like I've always said in any conference you go to, whether it's education or coaching, if you can walk away and take away one piece that will help you as an individual, as a teacher, or as a coach, then it was worth your time. And after sifting through all that video, man, that was my takeaway. Like how selfish of me to put my stresses on my kids. But so, you know, I just, my presentation, I go into 25 different ways that, that, you know, teachers might suck as a, as a, as a teacher. And some of it's, you know, comedic relief and, and some of it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. I used to do that, you know? So, um, I enjoy it. I enjoy going out and speaking and, uh, and it's a blast. Well, oh man, first of all, thanks for being vulnerable enough to share that because I think our listeners, just like me, you have me on pins and needles. I'm like, all right, coach, what did they say? But what I, what I also love about it is your, your willingness. And this is why I say, Mike, I, I brought you on this show knowing you were exceptional, but you were not many teachers, as you said, are willing to hear that. And as you've pointed out, what I have approached now, a lot of times when I speak and, go, and, and you know, perform for trainings, I tell them today is like a mirror. There's going to be a lot of activities and a lot of things that I say that are going to ask you to self-reflect. And the only reason you may not like what you see and you may not like what you hear but I'm not saying it so that when you look in the mirror that you, you, you deem yourself ugly or ineffective. I say it with all the love and passion that maybe it's time to change. You know, I'm, Mike, I'm 50. I, I, I'm a football coach. I tell people I'm rooted in discipline, the foundation of everything that I was brought up. My dad was in the military for 27 years as a master sergeant. I, I, you know, I became a coach and I knew I emulated what coaches did, right? Tell me yes or no, sir. You follow directions, you follow discipline. Then I became an administrator and I went right into that mold. I told kids, if you don't like it here, get out. You know, nose to nose and toes to toes to kids. I just, I did everything that my job asked me to do, but then I just started realizing it was ineffective. And the reason I say that is there has to become, for every person, there has to be a point where you have a low. And when, when we left the, when we led Northeast Independent School District with 1,149 types of suspension at our little old middle school, we were excluding rates of higher than Madison and Roosevelt and MacArthur. Like we were kicking butt high schools. We were out excluding them. And that's because that's what my environment told me to do. My teachers wanted me to get rid of kids. I'm not blaming the teachers and I'm not blaming. That's what the, the, the environment said. And, and I realized Mike, that I, I sat there one day and I realized I sat in the parking lot and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Well, I don't know. So the question that's posed behind you, Mike, that people can't see is your why. And what I created a slide eventually is, is a, is a principal sitting at his desk and all of these exclusionary consequences and pressures coming to him. And I said, those are all boxes the box, the, the box stole my why. And 
I sat there and I was devastated, man. I, I, the, the, the field of education that I fell in love with no longer met my need. It, it literally just stole my why. It took every ounce of passion and, and why. And I was degraded to a disciplinary person who wasn't making my teachers happy, who wasn't making my students happy, who wasn't making, I was a fireman trying to put out fires every day. And I knew it was just a matter of time before it was going to, it was going to burn me out. And so that's why I quit, man. I, I just, I lost my why. And, and it sucked, man, because I knew I wanted to be a teacher in fourth grade, man. And I knew I wanted to be a house school coach to make a difference. And I thought, man, if I left coaching and I got into leadership, I'm going to make a bigger difference, man. And I felt like I was making less of a difference in administration. I wanted to go back to coaching and teaching, man. Because coaching and teaching, you get to love on kids, man. You get to love on them. You get to care for them. And administration was not what I thought it was going to be. You start working for adults and you start working for central office and all the priorities change, man. And I just so happy that I was able to recapture my why in finding the importance and the value of putting relationships and connections at the forefront and just saying, hey, guys, have you ever tried this approach? And not just try it, but let me give you some concrete tools how to do it. Because not everybody is a Mike Carrera who can naturally do this in about, I don't know, whatever it is, 70, 80% of our staff, Mike, is, is just, just their teachers would say, just tell me what to do, right? I don't want to have to create a podcast. I don't want to have to do a journal. Journaling's not me. And I think what I'm taking away from my episode with Joe Beckman the other day, man, is, is we don't have to have it all together, but you just have to show the kids how you're an ordinary person and he did it in an acronym Ford, uh, F-O-R-D. Find ways to either talk about your family and occupation. I think R was rec- uh, like recreation, sports, or D, a dream. He was like, everybody has one of those platforms to talk about. And I said, wow, Joe, I said, that's, that's it. I mean, it, it's great because all teachers need to do is feel empowered to be able to share something personal that I'm not asking educators to be my careers. I'm asking educators to say, what is my career essentially doing? And you're like loving kids and connecting with kids. And then once I establish that, teach them to the best of my ability and then continue to love and support them as they're through my students. And what was that statement that was on your whiteboard? Can you say that again for me, Mike? That was powerful. I wanted, I, what, can you, what was on your whiteboard? That you know, you I just got to I don't know verbatim, but yeah. it, on the first day of school, man, um, I literally just had my, my expo marker and I was like, okay, I need my kids to walk in. And, and I never pointed it out like on the first day, it was just up there, but essentially it, it, it said my why, you know, it, it basically said that um, um, I will know that I am successful as a teacher long after you have walked the, wall, the halls of Steel High School. You know, so it talked about long lasting relationships and, but I tell you this throughout the course of the year, I would point to it. You know, if something came up, a conversation came up, kids love going to coach Harris class. They know I'm going to tell stories, right? I'm, I'm very, um, and, and you, you use the word vulnerable and, and I forgot to address this earlier. Yes, I'm vulnerable, 
But I think the key here is to be transparent, right? Okay. I so illustrate the difference for us. So, so to me, transparency in my presentation of 25 reasons why you might suck as a teacher is when, when you as an adult, again, going back to like what we started talking about in this conversation about mistakes, as an adult, if I walk into my classroom late, my, my students are supposed to grab an expo marker and put their name on the board because I don't know when I'm going to do attendance and I can go look and peek at the wall and then I'm doing my attendance and I can mark those two or three students late, right? I don't need to interrupt class, ask you where you were. I don't need the excuses, good or bad. I don't need your slip from attendant. Like, I don't need any of that. Just put your name on the board, sit down because the rest of my class is journaling and it's quiet peacefully, right? So I don't want any interruption in the beginning of my class. But if I walk into the classroom late, does Coach Herrera sign the board? Yes, he does. I have to be, I have to do and model the same things that I want of my students. So I sign the board when I walk in, you know, the school wants a, 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 a rule for, you know, no, no, uh, sonic drinks or food in the classroom. Right. Well, then I can't be seen drinking my drink and eating my lunch or my snack at my desk if they can't. And the other thing is like cell phones, no cell phones in the classroom. Dude, I used to be the cell phone Nazi right? I see it. I take it. I turn it in $15. I see it. I take it. I turn it in $15. Man, if I put myself in today's school, growing up the way I did, $15 for my mother to get my phone back was probably a couple of hundred bucks. She didn't make that kind of money. So then I started thinking like, if I was a kid, would I be doing this to myself? No. So like I stopped that. And so I did my little cell phone policy now where, where kids are, are proactive when they want to use the phone and, and they move a little sliding scale on a, on a stoplight system. And coach, I'm expecting a phone call from my employer today because I want to pick up another shift. Is it okay if I answer the phone when it rings? I mean, come on, I'm, I'm teaching this kid how to then as an adult, when to use a cell phone, right? But I can't be just, you know, thumbing through my phone while they're working on a worksheet. You know, you have to be transparent with what we do and what we say and how we're modeling expectations for our students. Being vulnerable is for me telling my story, sharing with them that I grew up in a single parent home, sharing with them that Salvation Army would come and bring us clothes and food, sharing with them. I didn't know that it like never going out to restaurants. Dairy Queen was a treat. And if we went there after church, it was the best day of the entire year. Like, and so kids can identify like, Whoa, like coach kind of has my story, you know? And, and so that kind of helps, um, that vulnerable piece. Now they might be more vulnerable in writing in their journals too. What, yeah. Uh, no. Know? Yeah. No. Um, I think Trevor Taylor mentioned it the other day, a teacher from Wagner, he was like, look, if I want them to connect with me, I have to model it first. And I said, so what do you mean by that? He was like, well, look, like wherever the threshold is, they're waiting. And he taught primarily freshman English. And he was like, freshman coming in, he was like, "Um, it's a required course, you know, you have to come in. But he was like, they're coming into high school and they're just like, they see this African-American male teacher at the front of the room, you know? And he was like, so I have to start showing them, here's where I'm willing to connect with you whether it's being transparent, vulnerable, the combination of the both. And then the kids are like, oh, well, then I'll meet you there. And then he said, so the more you want from your kids, the more you have to give. 
And we were just talking about how, but they're waiting for you. They're not going to walk into your class day one and be like, all right, coach, let's get to know you. They're, they're, they're going to sit back and be like, all right, where is he taking us? Because you are the natural adult leader in the class and they are waiting to figure out, okay, what are the dynamics in here? How does he work? Um, and, and, and I love the fact that Joe Beckman had also shared something the other day. He said, there was this one teacher that always high-fived, met everybody, the charismatic outguide person. And then there was this very reserved teacher who just, that is not her personality. But I love what he shared is, is he said, but what she did is, and this was, I think, geometry. She walked around every Monday. It would be like on a scale of whatever, check-in, how was your weekend? So instead of journaling, Mike, she just did a verbal check-in with the kids. And I think Joe was was vulnerable and shared she was the first one to ask about his weekend after he found out his parents were getting a divorce. And he said, Kevin, if you would have asked me prior to that in, in, engagement, who would have been the teacher that I would have probably revealed something personal about? It would have probably been the guy who was high five in or whatever. But he said, but because of the way she connected with her students in her own way, it made me feel safe enough to share with her. But if you would have said in a million years, would I've ever connected with Miss Geometry teacher, he would have been like, hell no, not that person because she's not that type of outgoing charismatic person. And I, I love that story, Mike, because what it reminds us is, again, everybody needs to do this differently. There's, but what teachers want is a box. You know, where's the box in the program that comes down and just tells me how to connect with all kids? Because it's got to exist because in education, we're taught that, like you said, the 5E model, whatever it is, there's all these different models and these things that are coming. And not that they're not powerful, but differentiation in building and connecting with kids is truly an art. Everybody should do it different. And I think that's the hardest part is when a school district comes in and says, all right, Kevin, teach all of our teachers how to build relationships. I'm like, it sounds so, it's easy, but it's not simple because everybody lacks transparency, vulnerability, comfortableness. And, and I love the fact that what you're doing, Mike, is for 14 years going into your 15th year, you, you, you've hit your groove, brother. You've, you've found a way to make the kids that show up in your elective class feel valued, seen, and heard. And you've done it in a way that you show them that I'm going to love you not through just today, the first day of school. I'm going to love you the rest of my life because you're a student for life, man. And I just thank you for being that type of educator that students need today more than ever. Thank you so much for that, man. I really appreciate that. Absolutely, man. Thank you. All right, brother. Well, any parting words for our listeners that you want them to take away from today? Just any simple message from you? Hey, man, I'll just kind of piggyback on what you just said there. Be yourself. You know, I heard this on a podcast the other day and it, it was uh, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. And to me, that stood out, man, because when we have doubts, doubt them. And what you believe in, how you what your why is, right? Um, how do you connect to kids? Maybe different than me, but those are your beliefs, right? I've got my beliefs. Just believe in your beliefs and doubt your doubts. Mm. Powerful words, brother. Hey, man, thank you for all you do. And thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. Lastly, I want to thank you 
the listener, the educator, the difference maker. Your time is valuable. I see time as an investment. And I want to thank you from the center of my heart for making it to the end of this episode. But please don't let this be the end of our relationship. If you have the same passion for putting relationships and connections at the center of all learning, then I need you to subscribe and share this podcast with other like-minded educators. It would be extremely helpful if you would leave a review or a comment on what you loved about the episode, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear about more in the future. This way, other educators that are searching for impactful podcasts can get a sense of what this show can offer them. You see, my hopes and prayers are that you were able to find one strategy or one idea that you could take back to one classroom to make a difference for one kid. Thanks for keeping relationships first, and we'll connect with you next time.